Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Food School Smarter, Stronger, Leaner podcast on a mission to inspire a world where food makes us better. Today, guys, you are tuning in. You are a fly on the wall in the room where we're having conversation with one Norwegian restless author, TED speaker, journalist, podcast host, and the first person to visit every country twice, and who also holds a lot of other travel records. We are talking today with Gunnar Garfurst again, the man who traveled to every country twice. And you're going to hear about, of course, all the food travel experiences, about the weirdest and the most bizarre foods that Gunnar had while traveling. You're also going to hear about the most sickening experiences and the uh, least delicious experiences that Gunnar had. Um, But also, guys, uh, you're going to learn about uh, some food realities that we in Western world take for granted. Like we think that's how it's everywhere. That's how food system works everywhere. But in fact, for most of the people outside of the Western world, it's not the case. So we are privileged in that way. We're also privileged because our education, our ability to learn, to read, to understand things in our confusing food world, we are able to make better for us eating choices. In a lot of countries, it's just not the case. It's hard to make better for your choices when you don't understand what what is better for your choices, right? And of course, we're going to talk about the healthiest food cultures, food traditions around the world, and what unites those cultures. And also, we'll chat about how... Our food, our food cultures, traditions reflect our human values. Well, without further ado, I'm not going to hold from you any longer our fascinating conversation with Gunnar Garfers. So tune in, stay tuned, and learn about food cultures and traditions around the world, again, without the man who traveled to every country twice, Gunnar Garfers. Brilliant. Yeah. How are you? <laughs> yeah, not too bad. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm still at work, but um, yeah, I found a meeting room for, uh, for our talk. So, um, and summer is coming, so everything's good here. And how about you, Angela? Oh, it's amazing. I actually, <laughs> I did this short trip to Yalta and I didn't quite like it. So I just came back. Okay. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> it was that bad, was it? Uh, it's like, it was like Soviet Union that I didn't expect it was that bad. Because, you know, uh, until six years ago, it was part of Ukraine and then Russia got it, I don't know, back or whatever. And now it's kind of still in between and mostly in the past. So it's really weird. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, well, uh, so it's it's uh, <laughs> gone back to the Soviet Union in many ways, or at least looks like it. <laughs> yeah, not sure. Uh, so, how's uh, Norway? How's everything? Like with this situation with coronavirus and 
No, it's quite good actually, because uh, well, we've been lucky. We uh, let's say we closed down relatively early, so the number of cases has not been too high. I think 240 people died, which is not too bad considering um, the average age of the people who died were um, 82. So now we have almost no cases and uh, restaurants have reopened and so have bars and, and all the rest of it. So it's almost back to normal, except for uh, travel. <laughs> so are you allowed to travel uh, inside or outside the country? Like what does it look like? We can travel within Norway, yes, without uh, many restrictions. We have to wear a face mask if we fly. And of that, we can uh, travel to Finland and Iceland and Denmark. And, and that's it without restrictions. Otherwise, we have to, um, if we travel elsewhere, we have to go into quarantine for uh, mm. uh, 10 days, I think, on upon return. So, no, it's not, it's not too bad. But, of course, there are not many flights flying uh, anyway from Norway. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's everywhere. I'm not sure even, I'm not sure we're flying anywhere from Russia right now. Maybe Turkey, but I'm not sure. But yeah, you also have to be in quarantine once you get anywhere. Yeah, so, no, quite in, inconvenient, but um, oh well. <laughs> yeah, you know, it will pass. It I, will. Yeah. Um, Gunnar, Gunnar Garfer, so welcome to Food School Podcast, uh, and thank you for joining us today. Um, you know, um, you are the man who traveled to every country twice. <laughs> <laughs> well, someone has to do it, I guess, uh, Angela. Thanks a lot for having me. It's uh, something uh, after I started traveling, it just sort of, um, I got hooked uh, on the experiences, uh, seeing new places and old places around the world. So I just kept on traveling and I uh, I never stopped well until corona came along so uh, in 2020 I've only been in Norway where I live and to Sweden for a short trip <laughs> still some traveling <laughs> oh, uh, in the, uh, yes. yeah so uh, our listeners at this moment probably are wondering what do you do besides traveling uh, like uh, is it your full-time thing or not for people who don't know anything about you like what do you do besides traveling to all these countries uh, well i have a normal job believe it or not so originally i'm a journalist and I, i now work for uh, a norwegian broadcasting corporation Uh, I no longer work as a journalist, though. I'm uh, working with, uh, right now, IT uh, projects, uh, which sounds quite boring, I guess, to a lot of people. Um, uh, but um, in the meantime, and also, I'm, um, uh, I'm also writing books, travel books. Uh, I'm doing quite a few presentations uh, in Norway and uh, in the rest of the world, usually um, having to do with either media, Uh, in which uh, I, I work, as I said, or um, uh, about travels. So, um, yeah, so I'm trying to to balance things. Uh, so you can say I, I have different um, different things to do, different jobs. So I'm going to take some time off from work as soon as this uh, corona pandemic hopefully um, uh, comes to a halt and uh, travel for full time uh, for 15 months. For 15 months? Yeah. So, so I was uh, supposed to do this starting in October, November this year, but uh, maybe I have to postpone. We will, we will see. <laughs> What's the plan? Uh, is it a secret or not? No, the plan is, it's not a secret. The plan is to travel around the world uh, in, um, well, in, in 10, 12 different uh, countries to meet people, 
some uh, just random people I meet on the road. Other people I'm uh, sort of planning to um, organize meetings with in advance um, and to talk to them about their countries, about what they're doing, you know, how things are, their cultures and all the rest of it. So I've written one uh, book like that just that came out last year uh, about the world's least visited countries in the world, the 20 countries in the world that receive the fewest tourists. Um, and it's, um, it's, so it's sort of a similar book, but this time I'm, I'm traveling around um, the world uh, sort of in the tropics and we'll focus on, on a different set of countries. Oh, what kind of countries? <laughs> Ah, uh, well, tropical countries. Um, I'm going to go uh, visit some countries in Africa, some countries in South America, uh, some countries in, in Asia. So um, we, we will see uh, exactly uh, which countries I'll, I'll sort of pick. Um, some of them will be, uh, well, more famous than others to, to most people. So it's uh, sort of about visiting countries that are, uh, let's say, more of a mystery to, uh, to most readers. Whereas others are are more uh, we're more familiar with thanks to television series and and books mm. and, and uh, well news media in general. Um, you travel to so many um, different you know exotic countries, countries that many people have never been to, and you probably eat there too, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely! I, I think that's <laughs> that's an integral and very important part of traveling to me to to. Um, try food in different countries, um, in different cities, different regions, and preferably eat with people who actually live there. And, and you can take me to either to, to cook um, or to take me to restaurants, which they actually know are good and that represent mm -hmm. local cuisine. So no, I, I love uh, trying different kinds of food in, uh, wherever I go. Of course, sometimes you're unlucky and uh, you catch, um, well, you're food poisoned and you'll have to <laughs> face the consequences. But uh, usually it, it, it's not really a problem. <laughs> um, during all these, you know, travels and food experiences, what would you say was like the weirdest food experience or food you tried? Uh, anything comes to mind? Well, a few different things. Um, probably worms, um, earthworms in, in South Africa were probably the, the strangest tasting uh, things I've ever tried. Black, quite thick uh, worms. Um, they were fried. Um, still didn't taste really good, uh, but they came with some sort of a hot sauce. That, um, so if I dipped the worms in the hot sauce, it was a little bit, uh, <laughs> it, it was slightly better. And then in, in South Korea, I, I ate uh, live octopuses. So they were still um, alive when I swallowed them. Apparently, it's some specialty in, in Korea. Uh, and few, a few people every year, they die from the experience because... Um, the octopuses don't want to be eaten, so they sort of cling to the throat, and um, and the, the eaters they they suffocate. So um, then in Norway we have uh, the head of sheep, uh, which looks quite disgusting because it, it's actually the skull of a sheep and the meat around it. Um, so so those three things are are among the most uh, bizarre uh, things I've, I've probably eaten. <laughs> and um, they all sound very weird and usually indeed um do they taste good like uh, is it well, something the worms, you'd like to eat? Uh, not so much i would say and i've tried them twice because i was going to give them a second uh, chance so to speak the, the octopus was um uh, was better for sure and, and the sheep is quite good actually it's very tender meat um 
I don't think you're 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 a meat eater yourself, um, <laughs> Angela. But um, there, um, I am though. <laughs> oh, you are. Oh, I yeah. am. Things <laughs> uh, but if you if you like tender lamb, it's um, it, it's one of the most tender parts of the of the sheep, the um, sort of the, the cheeks of, um, of of the sheep. Some people eat the eye of the of the lamb or the sheep as well. That's quite disgusting, actually. But uh, again, I I had to try it. <laughs> well, um, those were the weirdest foods. What were some of your um, I don't know, best food experiences, something really memorable? Well, I, I'm really um, fond of seafood um, and I've eaten incredible foods in uh, uh, in Japan. Of course, they're very good and very, um, and they have a long, long tradition for, for seafood. I've been to the uh, Tokyo sea, uh, Seafood Market, which has um, unfortunately been moved to a much more modern uh, facility but the old one was really special and you know people were uh, obviously as they do in fish markets or seafood markets they were cutting up a huge tunas and uh, uh, I don't know they were creating all these magical experiences for, from super fresh um, uh, seafood uh, I've been to some incredible restaurants uh, as well some of them have been um, sort of local unknown restaurants others have been uh, world famous uh, Michelin star restaurants. I think Noma in in Denmark in Copenhagen mm. is uh, is probably well. It's very high uh, up on the list of, of incredible food experiences. And they showed us around the restaurants, and there were I I don't know must have been like thirty or forty chefs working around on on the on the first floor, and it was just unreal how much uh, attention they were putting into the the food they were preparing. Um, so, so no, there, there are, um, so I really enjoy um, <laughs> spending money on food when, when I travel. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be posh at all. Um, I, but you know, it, it's it's more about the um, what what people who make it, how, what they put into it. You know, you can tell they're proud um, uh, from making uh, all these uh, these dishes. And I really want you, as a, as a foreigner or as a visitor. To, to have the, the best possible uh, food experiences um, and, and all the stories that come from uh, from eating in restaurants you know I, I just love that aspect of of, um, of eating my way around the world so to speak <laughs> so, yeah uh, I hear that you love um, spending you know money on good food experiences but uh, I meant m- uh, more like what kinds of foods specifically like maybe some dishes or maybe you know some specific food items like you said about worms or octopus maybe it's something you know from that kind of like category but something that you love something that you well I, of course there, there are many many examples maybe one of my um, absolute favorites uh, are oysters so if i see oysters on the menu i i have to try oysters I will, um, as, as uh, you, you know, um, oysters can be really bad for your tummy if they're not fresh. So typically I, I order uh, just two or three oysters to check the quality of them. And if they're good, I, I go overboard and order 12 or 24 or whatever. Um, just recently, just this weekend, I visited a friend of mine and he lives in southern part of, uh, or he has a cabin in, in the southern part of Norway. And we actually went out on, on down on the beach and we, we picked 40 oysters 
uh, ourselves and then had a feast afterwards um, eating them. So, so oysters are, is one of my absolute favorites. So you say, wherever I am, uh, not wherever I am, but you know, <laughs> especially <laughs> along uh, the coasts of, of the world, uh, and of course, oysters. They, they should, I prefer oysters that are from relatively cold water. Um, and we see even here in, in southern parts of Norway, uh, oysters are, are now pairing. Um, we didn't use that oysters here, or, or not much anyway, but there is this Pacific oyster that's uh, sort of spreading around the world, and that's even made its way um, up here. Um, I don't know, other, other kinds of food, um, this is not a very popular uh, food dish, I should say, in most uh, countries in the world. It's forbidden in, in quite a few places. Uh, but in Norway, we have a long tradition for, um, for whaling and eating mm. whale meat. Um, and it's, it's extremely uh, good taste. It's very easy to destroy because if you cook it too long, if you uh, uh, put it in a fry it in, in pan too long, it starts uh, tasting like fish oil, and that's not the taste you would like to have. So, so you really need to be very fast in the pan, maybe only, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 seconds on each side, and it, it's so tender, it's so healthy, and it's so good. So, so in many ways, it tastes like steak, but it's much, much more and more healthy. And I think the only places you can get to this is probably Norway uh, and Japan, uh, possibly New Zealand and parts of, of Alaska. Uh, I think those are the only countries that actually, uh, and Iceland as well, uh, not to forget our neighbor <laughs> to the West. But yeah, that, that's another dish I'm, 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 that really um, I really love and that fascinates me. Oh, anything else comes to mind? Oh, well, uh, you know, <laughs> I can keep talking all, all day about uh, various kinds of food. I was in Vietnam with, um, with a colleague and a friend a few years ago, and uh, we, asked, um, we asked to try um, a king cobra, the, the snake. And they took us to um, the, what they call the snake city, which is just north of Hanoi, the, the capital in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and we sat down and, well, they gave us some drinks and they asked us, uh, well, uh, what would you like? Well, of course, we are here for uh, the snake, the famous snake. And it took us out in the backyard. And there you had um, this guy inside a big uh, cage with loads of, um, loads of snakes. And he held up like two, uh, one in each hand. And, you know, any of these? Would you like any of these? Or which one would you like? Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he, he was so bored, you know, while we were discussing which one we were going to get, we picked one of them, uh, King Cobra and uh, the chefs, you know, after we picked it and, and it was still alive and we went back to our table and within, I think only 12 or 15 minutes, we got the first dish to, to our, our table. Um, and out of this snake, two grown up men, uh, we did not to eat it all. I think it was two meters long, two, two and a half. And they, they made it into 10, nine or 10 different dishes. It was snake, uh, king cobra snake soup. It was uh, snake spring rolls. It was uh, some sort of, uh, that looked like uh, almost sushi, but only from the snake. Uh, it, it, you know, that was magic in the making. They made so much different kinds of, um, so many different kinds of dishes from this one uh, that seemed quite small snake, and it turned out to, to, to be a lot of it. And then in the end, uh, we also, um, we were given the heart, 
because it's only got one heart mm-hmm. and it's quite small. <laughs> so then my colleague, who is much older than me, uh, according to Vietnamese tradition, the oldest person in the room will get the heart. So uh, <laughs> he got the heart um, made into a drink with some vodka. And uh, well, by the judging by the look on his face, I'm, I think I was I was lucky not being the oldest person in the room. He he, <laughs> he, he was not a big fan of that, um, let's say, snake drink uh, or whatever that was. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm curious as a nutritionist, what what were some nutrients in that dish? The whole thing, the cobra and the heart and everything. <laughs> Oh yes, no. That, that's I, I don't know. I haven't really looked into into that, but I can tell you there was a lot of bones in in the snake. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we, we spend a, a bit of time removing bones from from some of the dishes as well. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, you mentioned a lot of different whole foods, and that was really like great for me to hear. Uh, especially you know things like oysters. They're actually one of the most nutritious foods on the planet. So, really? Wow. Yeah. So I'm actually healthy when I'm eating oysters. <laughs> <laughs> and and all these, you know, exotic whole foods, like worms also are really nutritious. Whale meat also very nutritious. But yeah, oysters like full of zinc and a lot of minerals, especially now for COVID-19. It's actually one of the superfoods that probably will protect you really well from a lot of things that might happen to your immune system. So keep eating. Oh, that's <laughs> very good to hear. Because after, yeah, I had my, we picked these 40 oysters uh, on, on Saturday, no, on Friday. And then on Saturday, I was, I, you know, it was so good. So then I went to, to a restaurant and ordered uh, 24 <laughs> new oysters. So I've had a lot of oysters lately. So that's, that's good to hear. It's, it's healthy. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, it's really healthy. Amazing. So keep eating them. Um, what were, you know, I am curious about the most experiences. What were some of the most, I don't know if you had them, like some awful food experiences, you know, when you like put something in your mouth or when you see it and you just want to throw it up or go get away from it. <laughs> <laughs> well, in large parts of Africa, they, um, they eat insects. And I mean, you have a lot of protein in insects mm-hmm. and we have an explosion when it comes to the number of people on this planet. So I think a lot of us will have to eat insects in, in the future. Uh, but when it comes to cockroaches, I'm not a huge fan. <laughs> uh, so they had sort of fry them into, uh, well, let's say chips or whatever, or crisps. So, um, but, you know, just just knowing that you're now eating cockroaches, that was, um, you know, that was a little bit odd and not very, very appealing uh, to me. So that mm-hmm. sort of uh, managed to eat it. But, uh, yeah, I, I sort of felt quite bad in my tummy afterwards, <laughs> even though there shouldn't really be any reason uh, reason for that, I, I, I believe. Also, in, I think, um, I don't know if this statistics is, is, uh, is accurate, but I've, I've heard that 70% of all tourists visiting India will be food poisoned. And I've been to India quite a few times, and um, uh, this was the first time in India, and I got severe uh, food poisoning. And I I just noticed when I was eating, I was there with my ex-girlfriend at the time, and and both of us, we were in a restaurant that looked quite decent, but, um, well, they don't have toilet paper in in large parts of India, so they use their left hand instead. And then, of course, if you don't wash your hands afterwards and you are the chef, then mm, needless to say, uh, your guests will be in, in trouble. And we could sort of feel that already probably only 10 minutes after eating that this was bad, both of us. And another uh, half an hour, 35 minutes, and, and uh, she was puking. And another 15 minutes later, I was puking. 
And by by the time we were puking, we were on a train that was going to take us from uh, from uh, uh, Mumbai uh, on the on the west coast and further down the coast to Goa. Uh, a train that should take eight or nine hours, but there was a, there was a train crash ahead of us, so the journey ended up taking twenty hours. And you know, I was on the toilet on, on the train, and it was coming out both ways at the same time you know mm. i really thought i was going to die that was that was the worst experience ever and i you know i've had food poisoning a few times but that was by far the worst food poisoning ever you know <laughs> yeah it just you know um um i guess it makes me think again about uh, all the these bacteria you know viruses and small microorganisms that we usually don't think about unless they cause us troubles like coronavirus or like food poisoning you know but they can um, you know make our last life really miserable <laughs> they can really screw things up uh, for sure and this was some uh, some nasty chicken curry or something you know well you know it should have been a nice chicken curry but turned out anything but <laughs> Nasty uh, surprise, indeed. <laughs> uh, anything else comes to mind? <laughs> awful, disgusting. <laughs> well, awful food. I would say, if you go to um, if you go to Ecuador or Peru, um, you have uh, guinea pigs that mm-hmm. are are being served as a delicacy, um, and you know they, they they raise them, you know, just for for they farm them more, you know, they um, for for food, um, and this is um, is is really a delicacy and it's quite expensive. Uh, so my mom, she uh, she's now um, retired, but she used to be a teacher. So she took a lot of her students to Ecuador as part of one of the courses in, in, in school. And, uh, you know, so she showed them these farms, uh, the students, and they spoke to the farmer and, and, and so on and so forth. And some of the kids, they, they, you know, they, when they were later served <laughs> these cute animals, you know, some of them refused to eat them and they cried and, and all the rest of it. And I didn't travel there with my my mom, uh, but I think it's it's a good training to actually when you travel to to almost be forced to eat uh, what what they eat locally. Um, I um, well, you, it, it's it, they've taken um, well, it was served half a guinea pig, and it was cut in in half, so the head was cut in in two, and so, so you could sort of see the teeth. Um, it was sort of like this uh, little creature looking at you with one eye, and uh, uh, and it turned out it, it didn't look too bad. It looked like um, grilled or barbecued chicken in many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, that was not one of my favorites um, either. My mom has, has later told me, no, no, she really likes it. So uh, maybe I wasn't lucky. I was, I was being served some uh, not so good guinea pig, <laughs> but it, it didn't really tempt me to try it um, again. In the same countries, Peru and Ecuador and China, you can also um, you can also actually order cat food. No, not cat food. Cat as food. <laughs> uh, cat meat as food. Uh, and we have this uh, this festival, and um, I believe it's in the southern parts of Peru, where well they used to have uh, a cat meat uh, festival once a year. Uh, when the Western media got hold of this, you know. Mm-hmm. The uproar and people said oh you can't eat cat and all the rest of it so they sort of made it much smaller and now it's more like an unofficial um uh, festival I, I still haven't tried uh, cat meat i mean my, my sisters would kill me if they heard me eating a cat they've had like loads of cats throughout their time and um <laughs> so so that's something i i I, re- I haven't eaten dog on the other hand i've tried in uh, Again in China, that was in a, in a South Korean restaurant, and um, and I, you know 
this relationship a lot of us have with dogs. I never had a dog in my family. My mom was allergic. So uh, so, so to me, I, I never really had this close relationship to, to dogs as, as, as an animal. Um, so I said, well, well why not? I'll, I'll, I'll try it. And uh, But yeah, there was no faces. No, you can see the faces yes. of the dog or anything. And I must say, it was really, really delicious. It was really good meat. Uh, very, very tender. It was served as part of, of a soup, uh, the dish I, I had in, in China. So uh, that was, uh, it sounds, doesn't sound too good to a lot of people, but actually it was, uh, it was delicious, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, for me, I don't know. I can't imagine myself eating dog, but then again, you know, when I think about it a little bit deeper, like what's the difference between a dog and a cow or a pig or a fish? Just because we seem, we look at them and they're at our pets and we, you know, have closer relationship with us, that makes it a little bit more difficult, I guess. Yeah. And of course, you also, you can say the same. It, it all depends on where you are. In Norway, yeah. we eat reindeer, we eat moose or elk or we eat deer. Um, in, uh, in Africa, they eat zebra, antelope. Uh, I've tried all of these things. Alligator and crocodile is, mm-hmm. is quite interesting, actually. It's sort of a, a mix between fish and meat. It, it looks like almost like chicken, very, uh, well, almost uh, yeah, almost fish even. It's uh, quite light meat and it, uh, it tastes, uh, let's say, different. Um, but it fascinates me that, you know, and you mentioned whether it's a dog or a cow, it shouldn't really matter. People eat whatever they have around them and whatever mm-hmm. nature provides. So, um, so I don't really see anything wrong with eating any source of animals. I still haven't eaten cat, as I said, and, um, and maybe I'll, I'll refrain from, uh, from that, or at least I won't tell my sisters. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh- or you could tell, you know, they forced you to eat it. Oh, exactly. Yes, that's a good story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we started to speak a little bit about um, food traditions. And uh, in a lot of parts of the world, they eat certain foods, not because, you know, they want exotic foods, but because that's what's available, right? Uh, if uh, the easiest meat to catch is alligator, then that's what you're going to eat. Um and I'm curious, while traveling in all these different countries, um, what, if anything, did you notice that was quite different from what we are all used to right now in our Western civilization, you know, with supermarkets and, you know, stores? Like, um, you've been to all these countries, like, what are, I don't know, maybe some major, like, differences you noticed somewhere? Well, I think it has to do with uh, the availability of, uh, well, electricity in, in, you know, and, and the, the power of money or, you know, having enough money to buy a fridge or the combination of those two. So in large parts, again, in, in Africa and especially Southeast um, Asia and also in some, some specific, uh, sort of Pacific Islands, you, um, uh, well, you, you can't really um, keep things uh, refrigerated. Uh, so which means, you know, uh, stuff like rice or pasta, uh, will will stay a long time, so you get a lot of that. And um, I was in Kiribati, one of the countries in the Pacific, and it was rice every single day. And you know, it's sort of uh, you just get um, tired of it. I mean, you have different uh, uh, vegetables, you have different meats, whatever, um, different sources perhaps, but it's it's a little bit um, too much uh, of the same. Kiribati, it's it's an island nation; it consists only of islands. 
And still, they did not eat fish there at all. You know, so much sea around, you know, which, which really uh, surprised me. Um, and I was, um, you know, I, I was uh, stuck there for, for some time uh, because of some planes that didn't leave, that were, you know, they were being repaired and, and cancelled. So um, <laughs> I, I, I really made me totally fed up with, uh, with, with rice. That was uh, pretty much the staple to, you know, they, they served everything with, you know, whether it was breakfast or lunch or, um, or, or dinner. Same in, in yeah, again, la- large parts of, of Africa. Uh, you, you certainly have a lot of um, um, of rice. You have um, uh, breadfruit, or you know, whichever uh, r- sim- similar staple food that they can get their uh, hands on. And and the tendency is that they eat it uh, all the time, <laughs> which means that you know you, you you tend to get a little bit tired of of, of that. At the same time, that, that's what they have, and they don't have the fridges, so they can't really they don't have too much of an option. Uh, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. uh, fridges or electricity, um, and there you tend to be served the same uh, kind of staple um, dish uh, to all meals, yes. whether it's breakfast or lunch or, or dinner. And it can be rice, it can be breadfruit, it can be uh, um, you know any other similar kinds of fruit. And now I can't I can't remember all the names of the different uh, fruits or vegetables that they use use for this purpose. Uh, but but you have quite a lot of them in in, in Africa, and they're all they're quite similar. They're sort of potato-ish, or or you know they're based on corn or or similar. Uh, that will um, uh, sort of fill you up, but don't doesn't necessarily taste too um, too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, so I think uh, um, sauces are quite essential, and a lot of these are being spiced up using hot sauces uh, or similar that will also stay for a long time without being refrigerated. So various kinds of chili um, are, you know, you can find these uh, types all around the world in order to um, to to make whatever you're eating taste um, taste a little bit more than than maybe it would otherwise do. So basically, uh, I guess it's different because um, a lot of foods are available to them, but they're not able to use all of them that efficiently because of that, right? Because of that technology, all the lack of technology like refrigeration or electricity or other things. Yeah, no, that's true. And also it has a lot to do with, uh, with infrastructure. Large parts of Africa, you almost have no roads. Uh, you still transport stuff on, on rivers or or maybe by you have to carry it on your backs and, and so on. So um, and, and people live in small villages, perhaps. Some people, of course, live uh, live in big cities where they have uh, more uh, choice when it comes to food. But often it's quite expensive. So so it, it's all yes, it's, it's something to do about electricity, availability of uh, uh, you know money, or, or being uh, able to afford having a fridge, for instance, or having electricity your house to your house. But also uh, the availability in in your village. You know, if it's a small village, you might have to grow most of what you eat yourself. Maybe you're lucky to to catch some fish in the local uh, river. Uh, but we take all these things for granted. You know, we we, mm-hmm. we have all sorts of uh, all kinds of food flown in from the other side of the world, wherever we are. Here, they don't even have a road, um, and for sure not an airport. You know, so um, or, or or a port. You know, so so it, it really shows. Um, how lucky we are in, in the Western world. We have all the infrastructure, we have 
the money to pay for for this. It's it's quite an unfair world out there. And if you if you talk about traveling, most people will never even leave their country. You know, they will never travel outside their country. They don't have the money. They don't have the passport, and and so on and so forth. They might not even have a road. You know, they have to walk for days and days in order to get to a road that will take them to to an airport. And and of course, they can never afford to to buy a plane ticket or or or, or hitch a ride with a boat. So, um, so, so no, it's an interesting question. You know, we're, we're focusing on on food here, uh, but it it sort of points to a much bigger issue, which, which deals with um, uh, the transport of food, uh, you know, the, the possibility to, to buy different kinds of food. Um, infrastructure is, is certainly mm-hmm. at, at the heart of this here. You know, uh, that's why I'm actually most passionate about food and food system and changing it. Um, not sure exactly how, but I want to, you know, to reshape it because food actually connects us all. We all eat, you know, many times a day and we can't escape it. And the way we grow, produce, the way we distribute food, it actually reflects all of our values as society and how we treat each other, how we care about the world and um, how long-term or short-term thinking creatures we are. So uh, it's not just what's on our plate. That's why I'm passionate about it. Hmm. And um, did you, you know, what I'm always curious about, traveling to all these countries, like, do they, as they say, like in most remote places, have like Coca-Cola or uh, other like junk food brands available everywhere and people just treating it like food? Well, more or less, uh, the, the exception there for uh, Coca-Cola is, is North Korea. Um, so there you have uh, other brands of, of cola um, you can get a sort of contraband or smuggled Coke, even in, in North Korea, but officially you won't have it. The same with uh, with beer when it comes to Heineken, which is, uh, I think they in their ads, they say available in 192 countries. So uh, I'm not quite sure what, how they calculate the countries. There are 198 countries in the world, but I only think, uh, I mean, even in North Korea, they have, uh, they have Heineken. So, um, so maybe the Vatican, uh, <laughs> uh, then again, even there they have, they, they have beer, but maybe not Heineken. So, so you know, they're, they're apparently missing uh, very, very few countries. Um, no, so, so, no, it's good questions, and, and again, it, it has to do where with where you are. If you are in a town, uh, even in most villages or, or cities, for sure you can get a lot of, of stuff you're familiar with, and, and especially these world famous brands uh, such as, as Coke. And then again, in some parts of the world, Pepsi is much more famous than Coke and Coca Cola, and, mm-hmm. and you know, in in um, uh, in North. Away for sure. In most of um, most of Europe, Coca-Cola is, is more famous, even though everybody knows about Pepsi. So you have these little differences uh, when you travel, and and you just take for granted that this brand is is world famous. And I said, no, well, it might be famous in, in your home country or your part of the world, but it doesn't mean it's it's famous in every country. So, <laughs> so that's that's interesting as well for, for for sure. But you know, I was also actually curious about. Um, in different parts of the world, they have their own unique like food culture, right? And um, 
a lot of what I read is about how these brands, they invade those cultures. And now people, instead of eating what's available locally, what's like nutritious and good for you, they start eating, you know, and spending whatever money they have on this junk, basically. And yeah. that comes like a lot of health problems or malnutrition related stuff. No, no, that's true. And, and you see lots of uh, what you call, um, was it half, half produce or you have these bags like Nestle or these huge companies that produce um, like soups or whatever, just add water or uh, any other kinds of dinners. And the way they serve them or distribute them, of course, in order to distribute these uh, very far away, they need to be able to, um, to you, you need to be able to store this food for a long time. So it's all dried up. Uh, and in order to get any taste out of them, there's a lot of salt in there. As you say, the nutritional value might not be good at all. You have um, you have the what do you call it the the milk, mother's milk, um, you know the the substitute of of, um, of breast breast milk to to babies. You know, lots of these companies they've been trying to market this or market this heavily as I no no this is much more healthy than mm-hmm. than breast milk which is a total lie, you know, and then you have, uh, you have babies that are being served this and they spend a lot of money on this, this awful uh, substitute instead of giving them the most healthy thing a baby can get. Um, and of course, this is also valid for, for uh, children, older children and, and for adults. You know, they're, they're often these people have no education or very little education. If you're lucky, they can read a little bit. Uh, if not, at least they will still understand uh, ads and big posters with happy people, you know, eating this or that um, brand, you know. So now I think um, when everything, when all comes to all, it's, it's, it's all a matter of education, you know, mm. knowing what is good for you and, and knowing that, yes, you should make your own food. You shouldn't go for all these bags or, you know, half produce uh, dinners or whatever. They will never be as, as um, you know, high, highly um, processed foods. You know, processed food is, is not going, you know, much more about this than I do. But, you know, but if you don't know better, you know, if you have no education, you're never, never given the possibility of, of having an education, um, then how can you know? And, and this is big companies are taking advantage of this. And mm-hmm. you end up seeing a lot of people, you know, malnourished uh, as a result. Yeah. Do you think, um, like, what was your impression? Do we have better diet right now in Western world or do other countries with less like civilization and less, I don't know, availability of different food products have, have it better? Like, what's your impression? That's a good question. At least we have more of a choice. We have uh, the availability. We have the education or we should have the education. At the same time, you see the obesity rates in, mm-hmm. in the Western world are skyrocketing. Uh, so I think it's split in two in many Western countries. You have some very healthy uh, people in, in most Western countries. And then uh, in, in uh, under the underdeveloped worlds, you know, if, if you have uh, access, if you're a farmer or, you know, fisherman, fisherman you, you have access to, to some uh, food, you can be very, uh, quite healthy. You know, the, very, the poorest people will not have access to this. Uh, but let's say the mid- middle class, the lower middle class in um, developing world can can be quite healthy. Again, unless they have seen all the ads for the fantastic food, and, and you know they end up buying that instead. 
So, um, so you can't say, no, because you're, you have an education and you have access to all sorts of food, you are more healthy uh, or you're not more healthy. But uh, I, I think there is, um, at least we have, we have more of a choice in, in many of the uh, more developing countries than, than um, mm-hmm. in poorer parts of the world. Yeah, and do you, like, was it your impression? Is it true? Like, I read a lot about malnutrition problems in the developing world, like that most of the people actually have hard times getting enough good food, whereas in our world, it's more a problem of just, you know, the wrong choice that you make, even though everything is available. Yeah. And, and here, you know, I don't know the statistics, but I think we, we throw away almost half, or I think it's 40 or 45% of all food we throw away. You know, perfectly good food. I know we just have so much of it and we buy too much and, and then we never have time to eat it and then it goes off. Uh, or we, we buy it and then we forget we have it and then it's the back of your fridge or in, in, in your cabinet uh, or closet. You know, so it's... Um, well, it's, uh, it's well, it's it's very, very clearly a, a very uneven uh, world. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of us we we can afford it. We we buy whatever we have access, and um, we might still up end up, uh, you know, just eating junk or eating in much worse food than than we could, or much much less healthy food than than we, we actually even have in in our fridges or in our, our kitchens. So no, no, there is a big divide, and it, again, it has to do, in my opinion, with education, and of course, with with availability of of food, um, and it has to do with um, with poverty um, mm-hmm. as well. So, so uh, there are for sure uh, several factors here, uh, but you can't you can't pinpoint on one uh, mm-hmm. thing alone that that's um, that's to blame. I don't think. Yeah, uh, me either. Um, what do you think? like what was your impression maybe something that was you know something you remembered from all these travels like some of the healthiest food cultures in the in the places you visited like any anything that comes to mind oh that's a tricky question i mean uh, again um, i think you have a lot of really um, healthy seafood and again if we combine that with with vegetables or salads and so on uh, you will you will uh, stay very very healthy, <laughs> and um, yeah, parts of of um, Asia or large parts of of Asia, you know, Vietnam, you have a very healthy diet. You know, in in Korea, South Korea, you have a lot of of fantastic um, food and very healthy. Um, but again, we're seeing that uh, the Western brands are you know taking over or trying to um, to lure people into to a simpler. Um, uh, you know, or and less uh, good options. Um, I also, well, also here in, in Norway, we have uh, lots of availability. And, and you know, if you if you if you want, if you go for it, and if if you um, uh, go to the the good food markets, which you'll find in most Western countries, you you can really find good um, good dishes uh, and very healthy dishes. I don't know if if one country stands out as as better or, or worse than uh, than in any other. Um, but you can see that in, in some countries that don't have a coast, for instance, then, you know, of course, they might have ri- rivers or, or lakes, so they, they might still have fish. Uh, but in many of these, it's more widespread to eat meat, uh, maybe more fatty dishes. Uh, in some cold countries, you, know, well, you have more fatty dishes because in, in earlier times, you needed fat in order not to freeze to death. And, and now we have heaters. 
and and you know we have we have houses that you know and cars and everything so and we might still stick to the same foods even though we don't need that kind of uh, all that that fat and then um well we we uh, we go obese as a result of it um but i'd say as a general rule of thumb um let's say fish um or countries with with um uh, a lot of seafood tend to be be healthier also if you look at olive oil around the mediterranean um uh, sea um and and elsewhere yeah, where they eat a lot of, of, of olive oil or olives um they tend to live a lot longer than than elsewhere these also are, are nearby um, um uh, the sea uh, naturally so um, mm-hmm. you have a lot of, of good stuff there middle eastern uh, cuisines are also very very healthy you have the metza or the like the tapas ish kind of dishes uh, small dishes uh, then you get some fish, you get some meat, you get a lot of vegetables, and you have a lot of oils, healthy oil, olive oils. So, so those are also um, healthy. But um, I, I think you have studied this much uh, better than I have, uh, Angela. So I think you can probably answer the question better. Yeah. But you haven't been to so many places. That's why I invited you to this podcast, you know, to yeah. learn more about the world and how it's done. You know, I'm also curious about actually food culture. like. In Western world, a lot of us, we are losing this. We're eating while doing something on the go, you know, by ourselves. Sometimes, like, I see people crossing the street and eating something, you know. Yeah. So, um, like, in my head, like, uh, in my view, uh, countries, developing countries have it right now a little bit better. Like, they still sit down, you know, together uh, for meals and take time to have their meals, not, like, in the middle of doing something. Is it that just like, you know, my impression or is it something that you've seen also? Well, I think that used to be the case in, in many Western countries and some, uh, some, let's say, parents or some families are still very strict. You know, the meals or especially the dinners should sort of be, uh, they are very important and they demand their children or the rest of the family that, no, this is, this is uh, us time or together time and we will really enjoy this. And of course, if you force yourself to, to take time and eat and, and, you know, you have discussions and all the rest of it, I think that's much, uh, much, a much healthier experience than, uh, as you say, rushing across the street and eating on the go and just sort of inhaling the food instead of, uh, uh, instead of enjoying it and, and really uh, tasting the different kinds of, uh, um, of, of ingredients that you have in, ta- tasting different kinds of vegetables or sauces and, and, and so on. Um, as we see now, uh, if we look, well, again, um, it's, it's um, not a good thing to generalize too much, but if we look at an Asian, large, large, large parts of Asia, they have a more um, uh, collective culture. It, it's more common that you eat together, for instance, or you do things together, whereas in the Western world, it's more individualistic. And, and you know, probably the clearest example is is the united states where everything is a, is about you 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 know it's or me 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 um and, and, and for well for instance china and, and other many other asian countries it's, it's more about the groups or your family and and, and so on and um, you tend in my experience you tend to um, have longer dinners and dinners with more people in, in many of these countries i also see that um, and this sounds a little bit strange but in a lot of countries where you don't have a lot of money or people don't have a lot of money, they are actually much more welcoming in order to inviting you. And you would think, but hey, you don't have too much money and, and you're still invited and they might even slaughter their, their only chicken 
you know, they're a goat in order to, uh, well, you're a guest from, from a different country. And uh, so you can't do that. You know, that, that's, that's awful. You're taking away your only chicken or your hen mm-hmm. that's providing you with eggs every morning. And then suddenly you're killing it and, and there will be no more eggs, um, as, I, as I experienced in, in Afghanistan, for instance. So, um, so I don't know. <laughs> Having a lot of money, it's it's sort of, or you know, having lots of access to to food or whatever, doesn't necessarily mean that you want to uh, enjoy it in the same way, or share it, or, or indulge in that experience where you, where you sit down and, and enjoy something, you know, have something together. Mm-hmm. So, so I think you know, very generally speaking, this is more uh, common in. Um, well in Asia and uh, let's say in, in large parts of, of Africa and the Middle East, you know, they're so welcoming, welcoming in, in many of these countries, you know, and uh, they invite you to, to their home and, you know, they sit around a lot of people in, in Saudi Arabia, you know, we, we hear a lot about Saudi Arabia um, and the way they treat um, women allegedly. But if you go there, you know, it, it's, it's, it's quite, quite different. You know, they're so welcoming. Uh, me as, as, as a man will not be able to eat with, uh, women, you know, so then it's separate, you know, the women of a family have dinner together, you know, and the men of a family uh, have dinner together. If it's only the family, the husband and the wife and the children, they can all dine together. But mm-hmm. the moment they introduce someone else, like like me, a foreigner or somebody else from a, from a different family, uh, a man, you know, then they will split, uh, split mm-hmm. up. Uh, but hospitality is, is amazing. So, so there's some of the most hospitable countries in the world I've been to, you know, Afghanistan and, and Saudi Arabia. And, and you're just like, wow. Uh, and, and, and lots of people in these countries don't have much, but they want to share what they have. Uh, and you are the guest. And, uh, well, we're going to share what we have now. And then tomorrow we're going to have to worry about getting some more food, you know, in order to, uh, to, to share whatever they managed to get with whoever is, is, is available. Mm-hmm. Whoever is there, you know, it's quite strange and it's quite uh, interesting to <laughs> to to um, to observe this, you know. Mm-hmm. I guess you know, as I mentioned at some point, food reflects who we are, what we value, our culture, and that's you know that will reflect like how we um, greet guests, what we share, what we put on our table, and. Um, you know, what we do at that table um, as a family or group of people. Um, so that seems to be right. <laughs> well, for sure. Um, no, I totally agree, Angela. I agree with you there. <laughs> um, so I'll be mindful about your time. You know, I don't want to hold you any longer. Uh, thank you for sharing all these, you know, stories and experiences and your view on the food world. Um, Anything else you'd like to like share? Maybe any thoughts? Maybe final food stories? Anything? <laughs> well, we should not uh, we should not forget uh, drinks, uh, and I'm not oh. necessarily talking about alcohol here, even though everybody thinks mm-hmm. I, I do. <laughs> uh, I love but my teeth. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you know, tea uh, is is a great way of getting to know somebody. You know, sharing tea, sharing coffee. Uh, well, or sharing alcoholic drinks, whether it's beer or, or wine. Um, so, so that's also something we should uh, we should not not forget when when talking about food. There are a lot of nutritious drinks uh, out there, um, and again, it's also a good way of of connecting to people. You know, over mm-hmm. over a cup of tea, for instance. So, 
So, um, so you know, so I, I, I always try. Well, you know, most times when you eat, you know, you also you also drink. So, um, uh, or uh, lots of times when you drink, you don't eat. But that's also a good way of connecting mm-hmm. and sitting there and just observing street life and and sharing stories or or, or getting to know um, stuff about. Uh, the place you're you're in you know meeting locals for uh, for a coffee or or, or or a tea yeah you know recently actually i was listening to this podcast on bbc food world or something and they were saying that food was probably a way like in the early times sharing food you know having all these like meals where a lot of people would be present it was a way to uh, bond to yeah. build social bonds and they did this experiment somewhere i forgot where uh where they inter- uh, they invited people to have lunch or dinner together and then uh they were invited to take part in some negotiations uh, or some debates and people and there was another group of people who didn't have any food together and so people who did have you know lunch or dinner or some food experiences together they were much more agreeable with each other and no. they found you know the solutions much much faster than people who did not have this experience so I oh, I think, uh, yeah, in my experience, exactly the, the same thing. I mean, then you have, you share something, you know, and you share an experience, you know, and I would definitely argue that having good food together or even bad food, you know, it is for sure an experience. I, I would prefer good food, but still. <laughs> and you, you share some tastes and you share having those tastes um, in, in one environment or another. And, you know, you have stories around this food and so on. So, yeah, I, I, I believe in that research for sure. And I've seen a lot of that myself. You know, you, um, you sort of, um, and you, 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 you show that, hey, I'm no threat to you. I'm sitting down, you know, I'm eating with you. And um, don't be afraid. I'm not here to hurt you. <laughs> it yeah, can be one way yeah. of, of, you know, um, passing on that such a message as well. Yeah, I think so too. Um... So thank you, Gunnar. Thank you for sharing uh, these amazing stories, your amazing, you know, journey and travels. And we all wish you, you know, the best luck with your plans and future travels. So you could explore the world and then share it with us. Um, where can listeners follow you, find you, you know, follow your work, follow your travels? What's the best way to connect with you? Well, yeah, well, they can follow me on, I have a website, it's garforce.com, so just my last name, G-A-R-F-O-R-S, um, and I have the same username on, on Twitter and, uh, well, Facebook and Instagram, so for photos, I guess Instagram is the best, at Garforce uh, on, on there. And, okay. uh, and Angela, thanks a lot for having me here, that, that was great fun talking to you. <laughs> yeah, that was indeed, thank you for thank you for this interview, I really enjoyed it, uh, I'm always you know, curious to learn more about the world and especially the food in the world, so thank you for sharing. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> thanks.